The New Testament reading is taken from Romans 13, verses 11 to 14, on page 162 of your Q Bibles. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 2 for our Old Testament reading today. In your Old Testament, it's pages 631. Reading from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall arbitrate for many peoples, They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, we have two very clear passages about the light of the Lord, both in Romans and in Isaiah. And I confess... I'm going to try very hard to not go too long this morning. I love the Old Testament. And as time goes on, you will learn that um, I tend to uh, gravitate towards it. And even more so in this season of Advent, because the Old Testament is just so rich with the truth of Jesus Christ, and it points so strongly and so clearly to the truth and the hope we find in Christ. And so here in Isaiah, which we know is famous for his prophecies that spoke about Jesus, his name even means in Hebrew, Yahweh is salvation. We have a great, great hope. In the book of Isaiah, we learn about the prophet. If you've ever studied about him, we know more about him than some of the prophets. He was married. He could have even been in the royal family to these kings he was speaking to. He was... He lived in Jerusalem. He lived a long life. He prophesied to a number of different kings. History tells us that he may have been martyred for his words he spoke. And at the time, if you're familiar with the history of Israel and Judah, they had split up into two separate kingdoms and there was this big power to the east and to the north called Assyria that would soon come and and enslave the northern kingdom of Israel. But at this time, we have this man, this man of God who is preaching and teaching to the kings and the leaders of the country, pleading for justice and peace. 
And even though Israel was on this downswing of, of great prosperity from King David and King Solomon before them, they had become rather arrogant. As a people group, they had become very, very proud of who they were and their practices and what they were used to. And so, if I can point your attention to the chapter before, just briefly, in, in chapter 1, verse 11, it says that God had become sick of their sacrifices. That God was frustrated at their empty ritual. And, and if we continue on in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, we see that these rituals had indeed become empty. That their sacrifices and the things that the people of Israel were doing were no longer pleasing in the sight of God. Now, I, I always say this whenever I get a chance to talk about the Old Testament system because many people, as critics of the Bible, will say what? Well, it was all about blood and vengeance and there's this Old Testament God that is evil and violent and, and all of these things. But the reason that God was upset about the offerings of the people of Israel is simply because that their sacrifice and their worship was not accompanied with repentance. See, when it comes to repentance and sacrifice, I always say this whenever I have the chance, that the Old Testament and the law was not about just blood and killing. The Old Testament law was also about faith. The Old Testament law was, was God saying, do these things that I might see your heart and how much you love me. Do these things that I've commanded you that you would repent of your sin. See that your sins cost something dearly. And that you would turn from those ways. See, God knows our hearts and God sees our hearts. And so he knows when we have our sacrifices and when we worship him and when we make offerings to him. And in doing so, he shows mercy and repentance and forgiveness of sins. And so, in the same way, the people of Israel in this text, the scriptures say, there was no repentance among the people. Isaiah adds this detail in chapter 1 by saying there was no justice. There was no justice. There was no righteousness. To put it in words of today, this was people going to church and doing whatever they wanted during the week. This was people coming to the table of the Lord, taking communion and saying, Lord, forgive me my sins, and then in going and sinning all the more. Knowing that, well, next week we can just repent again. And here we learn in the book of Isaiah that God does not desire empty ritual. God does not desire us to just simply go through the motions and live however we please. And in the midst of this bleak, gloomy picture for Israel, Isaiah has just delivered this dark message in chapter 1. He gives us a wonderful message of hope in chapter 2. He says that there is hope in the Lord. That even during our sins and our transgressions, we know that God is loving. In the midst of His justice, God desires to set up His mountain, His house on a hill that all can run to it. And, and for me personally, I think of this and I think, wow, how, how is this possible? Our God is so holy. He is so just. And I get just a little bit afraid sometimes. I know he's a loving God, but he is also a just God, isn't he? And sometimes I wonder, how will he deal with me? 
I sometimes have my own doubts about this, and, and we all do, don't we? They creep into our heart and they kind of wiggle their way into our lives, our doubts. But hope remains, as we see in Isaiah. The hope remains that in the days to come, His house will indeed be established. Because our God is a loving God. And these two attributes of His character meet. See, for for many years as a young Christian, I struggled to understand how God could love me unconditionally, but yet want to judge and and, and be just in light of my sin. And, And it always... One day I would, I would rest in the love of God and then one day I would be fearful of the justice of God and I felt like I was all over the place. And then I realized and saw this in a different way and I want to share this with you this morning. If we consider our God, on the one hand He is love and He is all love. But then on the other hand He is equally all justice and desires righteousness. So how, how, do, how do we come into the equation? Well, when the two come down together to us, it is His mercy and His grace. That He loves us so much and He is so just and so righteous, He desires for us to repent of our sins and to go through things like communion and our rituals and our worship with repentant hearts that we see Him displayed in His mercy together. Our image of God and how we see God plays such an important role in our worship. Do you see God as too much of the just, angry God? Or do you see God as too much of the loving God and you don't rest enough in the need for repentance? See, many, me personally, I always err on the side of justice and power. And and, and sometimes I doubt and get afraid. And I fear that God wants ill for me or wants bad things or that if things go too well that God will sometimes knock me down a little bit. Some of us are in that camp. Some of us, on the other hand, see God as loving and and, and see the love and, and the care God has for us. But because of that, our image of God does not carry the weight needed in repentance and the seriousness of worship. And they don't worry about it. And so this is what I think was happening with Israel, that they would just go and, and say, well, God will forgive us. Well, God will forgive us. Well, we're saved. We're Christians. We can do whatever we like. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us. And we forget about the justice of God. And see, to understand God and know Him is to understand that He is both just and loving. And that when we see both of these things together, we understand mercy and grace. And when we understand this hope, and when we understand what God is saying here, it will be what we see here in Isaiah chapter 2, this hope of this house established, high above all the other houses, high above all the other gods, above all the other things people worship, and the nations will stream to it. I picture an endless stream of people down a path mixed with people of all different backgrounds and all different ethnicities and refugees and the wealthy and everyone together streaming to the house of the Lord to find hope and mercy. It's a beautiful picture. And this picture is so important to the Lord, He actually gave the same image to another prophet. The prophet Micah in chapter 4 gives almost the exact same picture to different kings that he was prophesying to and said, this is how important it is. 
is a very important message. And I think for us this morning, sometimes we may read something and think, wow, that's interesting. But then we read it again and we think, wow, maybe I should pay attention to this. God told it to two different prophets. And even though it's sometimes far-fetched or hard to believe, that we begin to wonder, we begin to investigate, why did God say this twice? Why is this so important to Him? And we dig deeper and we look to the New Testament and what do we find? That the Apostle Paul in Romans said to run away from the things of darkness and run to the light. And we look to the message of Jesus Christ and we see that Jesus in John 14 said what? In my Father's house are many rooms and we will all have a place there. This same house mentioned in Isaiah chapter 2 on the highest of hills where people will come and learn the ways of God has been prepared for us through Christ, through the coming of Christ and through the sacrifice of His cross. And so for us this morning, as men and women of Jesus Christ, we must desire to abandon all of our gods and go and reside with the God on our highest mountain. To live in the light, the light that we prepare for through Christ in Advent. This is where we are called to live. This is why Doug was so fired up last week about the preeminence of Christ in Colossians chapter 1. This is it. This is our hope. This is all we are. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul also said, For once you were in darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of the light. He doesn't even say that you are going to the light. He says that you have become light. That as children of God, we are not just accepted as righteous, but that we are made righteous. We exude light to all other people. We don't just wait for Christ in the background of life. We don't just go through our empty ritual waiting and trying not to mess up. Trying to stay in the background. Trying not to make waves. I've known Christians who are so fearful that they'll just spend their whole lives in the background saying, well, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to mess up. What if I do something wrong? And they just go through these little tiny safe lives. But Christ says that we are the light. We are the light of Christ. We are the church. And we are to bring light to this world. Because Christ dwells in us through the Spirit. We have the power to direct these nations to the mountaintop. We have the power to show the refugee the way to the mountaintop. We have the truth to share our neighbors the way to learn the light of God. Just this last week, God has a funny way of reminding us of things we need to learn, don't we? This last week, I was uh, getting onto a train at, at, at the Habe, coming to the Stadelhofen, and I even had my headphones in. You know, the international sign, don't bother me. <laughs> and I had my headphones in, and I'm walking, you know, to the train, and I get on the train, and, and a guy kind of flags me down, and I think, ah. Uh, okay, fine. So I take my headphones off and I ask him and he says something to me in German and I've started my German lessons now and so I could effectively communicate that I'm learning German. Could you speak English? <laughs> and he says, yes, yes, can you help these people get to the Stadelhofen, to the S18? And I thought, oh, that's the train I take every day. That would be very easy. Yes. And he said, okay, okay. And so he flags these people over and it's a family and it's a husband and wife and three small children in a stroller. 
And as we're standing on the train, it becomes apparent they don't speak much English and I don't speak much um, Arabic. And, but I ask them, I say, where are you from? And they say, uh, uh, Syria, Syria. And I said, oh, how long have you been here? And they said, you know, three days. And all of a sudden, I just realized, oh, no, God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to teach me? I had this awful attitude, and here I am. And so now I say, okay, instead of just pointing to the train, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to walk them to the train. Ah, it'll be my Christian duty. And I walk them over, and, and I walk them over to the S18, and I say, okay, you're here. And I say, where you, do you know where your stop is? You know, I point on the little map, and which stop are you? And they say, I don't know, and he hands me a piece of paper. Hands me a piece of paper, I type in the address, and it's the mosque up at the Baldrus station, up at the top of the hill. And the Lord just oh, wrenched my heart even more, and I said, okay. I'll ride with you guys and make sure. And so I rode up with him and, and showed him where to go and gave him my card and invited him to church. I said, email me anything you need, you know. But and I was reminded of this fact that, that, that when we think of Isaiah 2 and the mountaintop and the house of God, it's not just us in this room. It's not just the people that already know Christ. It's also those that need to know Christ. As, as Pastor Matthias shared last week about the persecuted church, that God is longing for the entire world, even those, especially those that oppose him, to know his truth and to come to the mountain, to, to beat their spears in, in, into plowshares and use the things that they used in opposition to God to glorify God. And so when we talk about Advent and we talk about these things, we realize that this is a season of hope. It's a season of waiting eagerly. It's not just thoughts and feelings and, and, and praying a prayer on Christmas Day. But it's seeing that this world needs light. And this world is getting darker, brothers and sisters. And it is our job to be that light. Christ can change any circumstance, any situation, any pain. But it requires us to be willing. And it requires us to be willing to help and turn away from the darkness. There was this old monk who said this, and I really like it. He said, essentially, that when we turn our heart and our mind towards Christ, it basically rejects all despair. That when we focus our heart and our mind, he actually said these kind of fancy words. He said, metanoia, which is a word for a change of heart, is the daughter of hope. And the reunification. And the renunciation, excuse me, of despair. So what he's saying is that when, when we see the hope of God, when we see that God desires us to be on this mountaintop with all the peoples of the world, that these are the things that fuel our turning from darkness. Because we can't do it on our own. Because we can't achieve perfection on our own that we turn to Christ and have hope in Christ. And that this is what leads to a rejection of darkness and despair. Not what we do but what Christ does through us. The light of Christ. I've shared this with some people in recent weeks and it's made a big impact on my life and I'll close with this idea. From Psalm 36, yet another image of the house of God. It says, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. And this is my favorite line. Verse 9, Psalm 36. For in your light we see light. It is in the light of God that we see 
his heart and his care and his desire for the nations. Not just for us, not just for the person sitting next to you, but for the people around this world who need to know that there is truth in the living God. And though this world seems to be getting darker by the day, and there is empty ritual across this world in the churches, let that not be here. May we be a people who seek righteousness and justice. May we be people who worship through our hearts to be the light of Christ. And so as you prepare your hearts and we continue in worship this morning at the table, prepare your heart to be light. Prepare your heart to be the light that others would see Christ in. Have the hope of the mountaintop to know that nothing of this world can change that. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you. Lord, I thank you for the prophet Isaiah. I thank you for his boldness to speak difficult words to the church. And Lord, as we hear these words now, we feel convicted. Lord, we confess that often we have empty worship. And Lord, we rest in your forgiveness and your mercy. Thank you for that truth, Lord. Thank you for your patience with us and your grace with us. Father, let us be the light of the world. Let us love our neighbor more fully. Let us love our neighbor more completely. Lord, we love you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.